This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 182. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I am joined by Ark Levy. What's up, Riley? How you doing? Good, man. I'm, I'm doing great. So glad to have you here with me live on Facebook, doing yet another podcast episode live uh, on Facebook. And uh, it's pretty exciting because we, we can't make any mistakes, brother. <laughs> you know what they say, right? F it. Let's do it live. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So uh, Arik is uh, from Firearms Nation and the Shooters Summit, which is coming up here very soon. Uh, in fact, we're going to make you an unofficial sponsor of today's episode. How does that sound? That sounds awesome. And I will, uh, <clears throat> I will offer up uh, a special deal when we get to that point of the, uh, the podcast uh, for your, your uh I want to say listeners, but it's viewers today. That's right. Viewers. Well, and listeners. We still have, you know, thousands, many thousands that will listen to this uh, audio only. And folks, in case you're not aware, we have been doing the last couple episodes of the podcast uh, simultaneously recording for the audio part of the podcast. We are doing it simultaneously on Facebook Live. And if you uh, would like to check us, check us out on Facebook Live, tune in. Go to the Concealed Carry Facebook page and uh, you'll see you'll see it right there. But uh, folks, uh, viewing on Facebook, hey, let us know where you're from. Uh, it's always fun to see that. Uh, last time, I think we had folks from Missouri and Florida and Texas and all over the place. So drop in the comments there where you're from. And also, if you have any questions for the podcast today, to, together with me and Arik, uh, he's uh, now Arik, you're a, a law enforcement officer with a uh, Metropolitan PD somewhere down there in Florida, right? Yes, a uh, very large department. I've been a police officer for just just shy of 15 years yeah that's a little while for sure and of those 15 years uh, about six of them i was a uh, firearms instructor lead firearms instructor taught rifle shotgun handgun uh some tactical stuff and that's how i got into doing firearms nation because i enjoyed the teaching the helping of people so much that you know i just want to continue it with you know, the internet why right. not a lot of people out there awesome yeah, and obviously you know how to shoot. I mean, you were uh, on Team SIG for a while there. Yes, uh, 2016. Uh, I shot with Team SIG. There was a great group of people. It was uh, managed by Bruce Gray. And uh, if you if you know anything about SIG Sauer, you know that that Bruce is the like the guru when it comes to uh, parts and gunsmithing. And uh, he's also a pretty good shooter. So he was he was the perfect fit to to manage this team. It was kind of a big team. I have a lot of good shooters on it. Uh, I was very, I was very blessed to be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, unfortunately they, they disbanded a lot of their shooting team. What about a year or two ago now? I guess yeah. a little more than a, almost two years now, huh? Well, uh, it was, yeah, I can't remember exact date of, yeah. but uh, yeah, it's, it's been at least a year, almost a year and a half now. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, we'll get into some shooting stuff with you today. We'll get into probably some law enforcement uh, oriented stuff. And then, of course, we want to hear about the Shooter Summit, what that is, who you've got lined up for that in case people don't know or know what to expect or who to expect. And uh, yeah, so and, and by the way, I'm I'm going to appear with you on the Shooter Summit. You are? I, yes, I, you are. that's right. I, I 
I remember doing the interview with you. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know why you wanted to do that with me, but hey, it was my pleasure and my honor. So, well, you, you offer, uh, you know, this year on the summit, you know, this is the summit to, to reach out to very specific experts. And, you know, your, your niche is that concealed carry uh, lifestyle, mindset, tactics. It was very important. And so, you know, I reached out to you. I had spoken to you. You actually were on my podcast. You forgot That's to mention. Yep. My podcast. So now we're finally getting around to return the favor. Yes. Well, finally. I was about <laughs> to send some people over, but that's okay. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, folks, uh, hey, real quick, before I get too far along, too, I mean, we got uh, Firearms Nation, the Shooter Summit, an unofficial sponsor of today's episode. But our other sponsors of today's episode is, number one, we got Sports Afield with their quality line of uh, handgun vaults and safes. And so this is their little RV1 uh, uh little clamshell styled uh, one. And uh, I just brought, took, brought this home from the road with me going to Durango. I took the family on a quick trip down to Durango. This goes with me on those trips, keeps my firearms secure when I need them. I've got several little kids uh, laying around uh, or running around and sometimes laying around in the hotel room and I got to lock up the gun. So that's one sponsor for today. You can go to concealedcarry.com forward slash sports field S-P-O-R-T-S-A-F-I-E-L-D. Yes, the same folks that produce the sports of field magazine been doing that a long time and they've got now into the handgun safes and uh, vaults and any purchase that you make with sports of field on any one of their products will get you a free one-year subscription to the sports field magazine and then also a sponsor today is pig lube check that out i love pig lube this is their little this is a fairly new product here little compact uh, cleaning kit. It's got literally like, I think just about everything in it. As you can see there, if you're viewing this live on Facebook, there you go. Uh, all kinds of brushes, different calibers. Uh, this is the AR 15 star chamber brush right here. So they've even thought of that. Uh, so all kinds of stuff in the pig lube cleaning kit. And here's some of the lube itself. Yes. There you go. Pig lube. Now, this is, is that because I'm on the show that you're putting up pig lube? No, it's because I like the smell of bacon, man. It's, ah, pig lube. And you're all right too, Ark. <laughs> anyway, thank you folks for support of our sponsors that make everything we do here at Concealed Carry uh, possible. And getting guys like Ark on, because, I mean, we, we, honestly, we would not be doing this for 182 episodes if we didn't have your support of awesome sponsors like Pig Lube and Sports Afield. So, Ark, let's jump into it, man. That was, that was a good... Uh promo for your sponsors. Oh, appreciate that. <laughs> Hopefully they appreciate it as much. So first up, uh, Ark, you, you've kind of introduced yourself a little bit already. Uh, I mean, I, I want to kind of go back in time with you a little bit. Uh, when did you first get into shooting? Like what was your first exposure or experience with, with firearms? It was before the academy, but it was silly stuff. Just going to the range and throwing rounds and not really knowing what you're doing. Uh, went to the police academy, unfortunately learned a lot of bad habits. Uh, right around that time, you know, there was a lot of stuff online and again, more bad habits. So <clears throat> for a while, I, 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 I struggled with shooting. You know, you could do the qualifications and stuff, but the, the hardcore, just, you know, the confidence, you know, the stuff that you could see at any match, uh, that eluded me. So right around the time that uh, Magpul Dynamics came about. They put that video online. I don't know if you remember that with 
Chris Costa and Travis Haley like in the rain. I mean, it was just yeah. like <laughs> produced, but it was cool. And I was like, damn, that's what I want to be doing. The stuff that I'm doing at the PD is just nothing compared to these guys are running around and shooting around barricades and in ports and saying move and reload and all that. I was like, that sounds like fun. <laughs> so lucky for me, they actually had a class literally like a month later down here in Florida. So I took that class. I took several of their classes anytime they came down here. And then I got that training bug. So I started taking more classes. And with that knowledge and uh, understanding of shooting, I said, you know what? I, I want to go into training. I think that one, I could definitely help. But two, I enjoy making people get better at what they're doing. So I uh, went to training and still really did not understand that much about shooting. I really learned the most was when I started competing. Uh, I was taking a, it was Larry Vickers. He, I had brought him down for uh, a pistol class. And he does all these competitions in his class. And one of his assistant instructors said, listen, you know, you're, you're a pretty decent shot, but if you want to get better, you want to be under that pressure, start competing. So I did, and I sucked. And I think that's, that's probably one of the biggest blowbacks that, that most officers have is that they go there, they're type A, and there might be a SWAT guy, and then like some civilian smokes them. Mm-hmm. So I'm never coming back. But I did. And I started to ask around, like, what do I need to be doing to get better? And one thing led to another. I started taking competition classes, started going to bigger matches. And one thing, you know, like I said, led to another. So that's, I think, was the, the big thing for me, competition. You know, I definitely agree with you about the uh, competition thing uh, in that now I was, I was a lot slower getting around to competing than probably you. Uh, but uh, I, I think for a long time, I enjoyed the aspect of competing. Uh, I would do it informally with friends and family. And I, I knew I was a pretty decent shot. Uh, you know, and then I'd, I'd shoot my quals, right? You know, I don't know how often do you qualify in your agency, but for us, it's every six months. And now, frankly, you know, a number of years ago, I thought, yeah, the qualification, oh, that's, you know, that's, that's serious stuff right there. I got a qual, man, you know, and I was always trying to get a perfect score, which I did actually a lot of times. Uh, <laughs> but the first time I went to a three-gun match, and that was my first like real, uh, you know, talk about like throwing yourself to the wolves, <laughs> you know, go to the three gun match. You're like, what do I need? Uh, AR shotgun pistol. And you show up and you, you're all like, yeah, Hey, I know how to shoot all three of those guns. I, I'm awesome. And then you shoot that very first stage and you're like, holy crap. I don't know anything <laughs> about shooting. <laughs> it's very humbling. Yeah, for sure. So I but appreciate you came back, right? You came back and you stuck through it and got oh, better. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, I enjoy very much competing now. Now, obviously competition r- world and reality is not, uh, it's not exactly, the, it's not the same at all. In fact, you know, competition's a game, but uh, wh- what do you get from competition that you feel as a law enforcement officer helps you be a better law enforcement officer? If you had to use your gun to defend yourself or defend someone else, respond to an active shooter, anything like that, how does competition make you better? So aside from the, the mechanics, right, the being able to make accurate shots at speed, shooting on the move, all those mechanical things, the, the biggest thing that for myself as a law enforcement officer and other law enforcement officers I speak to at these matches uh, who also compete it's being able to process things much faster than, than regular people. 
because the more you shoot matches and you're dealing with props, you're dealing with gun malfunctions, you're, you're dealing with all sorts of problems that you need to solve and you get good at that. And then when you're in these critical incidents, it's easier for you. I, I've, I've totally experienced it. It is easier for you to process what's going on before the other people do. And so that is a very calming uh, effect on you. And of course, you can make better decisions that way. So I think that's the biggest thing that, that people can get. And you don't have to be a law enforcement officer, uh, just a regular everyday carry person being able to not get overwhelmed by the event as it's happening. So you can make good decisions. Because I think if you watch a lot of these videos, when things go bad, people are in that, that red zone where they, they're, you know, it's that monkey brain. They're not making good decisions. They don't have the training and it just falls apart for them. Yeah. So having that, that cool and calm, that's why you look at, you know, like say our, our, our best, you know, the special ops guys, they're doing the stuff at a high level all the time. That's why when they're going over there and they're doing stuff, it's easier for them. I mean, no, nothing's easy about it, but they can handle it and they can process it much better than, than the bad guys, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to come back to it with a follow-up question to that. But first, I want to recognize we got a number of viewers on Facebook now. I appreciate that, folks. Uh, let's see. We got Jason. <laughs> and he said, uh, at a car dealership, and I forgot my earbuds. Going to have to watch later. Uh, we'll catch up with you, Jason. Uh, Steven says, looks good. Howard is from Vegas. Steven from Illinois. Terry my home, from my home, my home state right there. Oh, home state of Illinois, huh? From Chicago. <laughs> well, and, and Steven says he's from the northwest uh, side there. Uh, Greg from Boise, Idaho. Lonnie from Washington State. Lonnie, good to see you again. Uh, Steve from California just popped in just now. So awesome. Glad to have you guys uh, viewing from, from home or work or from wherever. Glad to have you as part of uh, today's episode. So, uh, oh, and Matthew. And Matthew is uh, Matthew Marister, that is, from... Uh, Ohio, one of our instructors in our instructor network in Columbus, Ohio. So glad you're tuning in, Matthew. All right. So back to where you were, you were just talking about, you know, let's call it processing speed, right? You know, like my computer has a certain processor speed and it's able to process so many bits of data so quickly, you know, within a certain time frame. And when we are shooting in a very complex environment, which almost any real world shooting is is just that is a complex environment there's a lot going on the potential for failure is obviously really high so we've got to process a lot of data really quickly i'm i'm just curious you know you you talked about how competition shooting has helped you you know be able to process things faster and better to be able to see more to make those judgment calls that you got to make and then respond where you're responding effectively uh with proper mechanics and all that too so the question about processing speed you know that brain power is that something that just comes naturally the more you happen to shoot competitively or is there are there certain things that you do specifically Arik, that helps you you know as far as you know, is there, are there certain things outside of even the competition as you're maybe getting ready for competition or whatever it is that you do beyond just hoping that you get better the more you do it? I think there's freedom in repetition. So if you're practicing, you, you, you can't get better at anything without practice. It's just, it doesn't work. And you have all these, you know, woo-woo books about 10,000 hours here and, you know, this special mind and all this stuff or I forgot all the, you know, Blink, all these different books that are out there, but they're all talking about the same thing. And that's the subconscious mind. And that's through repetition. And, you know, the subconscious doesn't know right or wrong. 
It doesn't know fast or slow. It only knows repetition. So if you're doing something over and over, that's what's going to give you. So that's why we practice these fundamentals, good trigger pulls, good reloads, you know, uh, moving in and out of position, all these things that we do, we do it over and over again. So that makes it free for us because I know previously, and I'm sure plenty of your viewer listeners out there have the same problem, is that it becomes overwhelming while they're shooting. I know, I've seen it in students, I saw it myself, that you're thinking about your grip, you're thinking about your trigger pulls, how am I supposed to see, what's happening down the range, I'm missing shots, that steel isn't, all this stuff you're thinking, you cannot think. If you're thinking, you're already going to be behind the eight ball. So we want to play in that subconscious uh, arena. And, and that way, we're just kind of reacting. We're, we're kind of moving with it. And then we can see things like, oh, there's another target. Or, oh, this person's coming at me. Oh, he's got a knife. Or whatever's going on, you can process that. Think about if you've ever been in a, uh, a car accident. Because more people, I would say, are in car accidents than they are in gunfights. Time, you get that temporal distortion, which is a fancy word of either time is speeding up or slowing down. For most people, the effect is it's slowing down. Why? Well, time doesn't speed up or slow down. Time is constant. It's just your awareness all of a sudden is, is just flooding you with all this data that's happening. You're starting to process it. And then next thing you know, okay, I can see that this person here, I better turn my car. I'm going to run them over. Whatever. So that's, that's where, you know, it's, it's all coming down to the, the subconscious. So competition, you're forcing yourself to work in that, that subconscious state. It could be uh, any type of competition. It doesn't have to be shooting. Martial artists do the same thing. If you're worried about where you're placing your foot and you're sparring with somebody, you're already, <laughs> you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. You have to react to what they're giving you. You know, you look at jujitsu or whatever, the judo, you're, you're gripping onto somebody, you're feeling what they're doing, you're reacting to what they're doing. You can't be thinking about, well, I got to grip him here and then place my foot there. It's never going to happen. So that's why we want to practice. That's why we want competition to test our skills and to help us get into that subconscious. I know that's, that was a pretty winded statement. <laughs> hey, that's cool, man. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, you know, because uh, I think with repetition, certain things that we're able to repeat, you know, a lot, which is the draw. It's, getting the grip on the handgun. It's trigger manipulation, uh, whether it's performing IADs or immediate action drills, right? Clear malfunctions. Uh, the more we do those things repetitively, the more they become automatic is like, is how I like to think of it. Okay. So if we repeat things a, a ton, uh, then hopefully a lot of those things that, that, that we normally maybe as most shooters probably have to think about a little bit. Okay. All right. If I'm going to draw my gun, I got to do this. I got to make sure I don't sweep my leg. I got to make sure I do this. Got to make sure the hand is on there a certain way. Oh, this hand joins a certain way. Oh, oh yeah. Sights. I got to, you know, like if you're thinking about any of that stuff, you'll find out your first competitive match. If you ever do that, or the first time you ever really put under pressure, all that just like goes out the window. And part of the reason for that is there's a term that I like to, to uh, I've adopted now, and we did an episode on the podcast with Mark Passamanic. Do you know Mark by chance? He's, I, no, I don't. I don't. It sounds familiar. He, he's definitely involved in a lot of ways in, in the competitive shooting world, but he, he talks about cognitive stack. And the idea is that, are you familiar with that term? Yeah, so, I mean, the idea for those that, that don't know that are viewing or watching today uh, or listening, cognitive stack is like, well, you can have so many things in your stack, right? So, 
I can have thinking about that draw or establishing my grip or getting my, my sights aligned on target or whatever it is, but most people can process three or four or maybe five things at a time that require some you know effort or concentration. As soon as you throw something else into the mix, well, oh, this guy just stepped out of his car and now he's doing this and I wasn't expecting that. And now that now fills up, you know, occupies maybe one or two or three slots in your cognitive stack and those other things just whew, out the window. And so I like to think of repetition as being, we, we got to repeat a, a thousands, thousands and thousands of times those things that should hopefully happen automatically, which would be the draw, which would be establishing a grip. Like we can't be thinking about, you talked about, oh, I've got to, I've got to plant my foot here so I can do this or so I can do that. No, you, that's all got to be happening automatically because your stack's going to be occupied by whether it is how you deal with this guy that just jumped out of his car and is coming at you really fast with a stick or oh, I just got to this target presentation in, in this you know, stage as, that I'm shooting competitively and oh, that target's not where I expected it to be or you know, something changed and now, boom, bam, that stack is over, overflowing and you can only process so much. I was thinking of that Jim Carrey uh, skit on In Living Color with, uh, as the karate instructor with, you got to attack me this way. You know, they're stabbing him. <laughs> no, you got to step here and stab me there, right? You know, and that's not going to work. <laughs> right, right. He's setting up anything. Yep. Yep. And then hopefully too, when we are practicing or rehearsing or, or, or training that we're seeing enough different types of situations that, and I think that's what the special forces um, and Navy SEALs and you know, those, those types of guys get is they do a lot of repetitions. I mean, they're training daily, right? And they're going through shoot houses and they're jumping off of, off, you know, buildings, repelling and, and, and doing all these different scenarios because hopefully through hundreds and thousands of different scenarios that you play out, you see enough different things that might happen and you see enough different challenges that have to be solved that you've just, you've built up that repetition and that muscle memory and that, that training to where it, you know, you've, we've all been in those situations where you're doing something, you're like, wait a minute, I've seen this before. I know how to handle that. But the first time you encounter something, that's, that's where you really get thrown for a loop. And that's why competitions are, are good is because these matches are set up. They're not signing up the same stages. Rarely right. are you seeing this, unless it's a classifier, which is a way to, you know, just gauge skill. You're seeing different things all the time. You're getting exposed to different stimulus. And they're always like, you see them coming up with these crazy new targets. Texas stars that spin and rotate and jump up and down and vibrate, right? And you just, shooting comes down to shooting. That's it. It's lining up the sights and pulling the trigger. All this other stuff is extra. And yep. if you think about that, that's, that's a very freeing thought that all I need to do, I don't care what's going on around me, is I just need to line up the sights, squeeze the trigger. That's right. Uh, and that's increasingly hard to do when you start. I mean, you got talk about Texas stars and you got the, I, I think it's called the death star. Yes. The death star, right? which is your Texas star that has your five plates, your five targets that are going to start spinning as you shoot them. Right. But not only that, but it's on an arm and it sits there and swings. <laughs> the first time anyone sees one of those, they're just like, <laughs> how do I do this? But, but you're, you're so right because what, what will happen to most people the first time they see certain uh, situations is they'll be like, okay, I don't know how to do this. And they just start, well, they'll just start shooting, right? And they're missing all over the place. But what I find when I get in situations that I can't figure out, uh, that it just overloads that cognitive stack or that I, you know, or I think I'm doing everything right, but I, I actually realize that I'm missing 
call my shots, right? It's usually those moments where I'm like, wait a minute, <clears throat> go back to the basics, front sight, on target, sight picture, pow, and then suddenly you're hitting again. How, how true is that for you? If, if I'm sure any of your uh, I say listener viewers out there who are competitors and been to a stage that they've had something go during their run, bad ammo, reloaded when they weren't supposed to reload it, gun jam, something. Instead of what most people do is then they speed up everything. They just start spraying because they feel they got to make up time. They panic. They get the anxiety. Oh my God. But you do so much better if you just, like you said, get back to the basics. I know what I need to do. Line up the sights, pull the trigger, make sure that I'm doing that. And you're not going to have that much damage as if you're throwing, you know, like five or six mics just to get a good time. That doesn't help anybody. But you go to any match, you're going to see that. Go to match this weekend, you will see it. It's going to happen. It's that panic. Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. We do see that so often. I was reminded, too, of another interview I did on the podcast, and that was with um, Andy Brown, who wrote the book Warnings and Heated, uh, which is about the uh, active shooter situation that happened at Fairchild Air Force Base in uh, back in the 90s. <clears throat> and... The thing that impressed me about Andy's story is he's, is he's describing this scenario. He has no idea what he's walking into. I mean, he hears over the radio, you know, there's a guy at the, at, the, at the hospital there on Fairchild Air Force Base. There's a guy at the hospital shooting people. That's all he knows. Guy with a rifle. And, you know, he, Andy happens to be the, the closest unit that's able to respond. And so, and he's on a bike. He's on bike patrol, right? And so he's riding his bike down to the hospital and as he's riding there, people are, you know, driving in the opposite direction in their cars. And as they're driving by, they're yelling at him, dude, you know, like guy with a rifle over there, you know, and he's heading right towards it. And all he has is his M9 Beretta, right? And he shows up on the scene. He sees the guy. He tells him to stop. Um, the guy doesn't stop, right? And so he, he's drawing his M9 Beretta. He gets it out. And the thing that impressed me, listening to him describe the story, and he, he describes it in his book, and he describes it on the podcast interview he did, but he remembers very distinctly just thinking to himself, okay, front sight, target, you know, line everything up. Okay, press, bang, bang, bang. And he's just like, and the only thing I could think of with that, because I also have heard many shootings, uh, officer-involved shootings, and I'm sure you've heard or seen the same yourself, where they, they have no recollection of their sights whatsoever, right? And what I find interesting about Andy's experience is that, to me, that tells him, or that tells me that he's done this over and over and over again. And the thing that he attributes to a lot of his success in that shooting was lots of mental preparation and rehearsal combined with a lot of repetition and practice. And he, he, would, he would envision in his mind scenarios and different situations and how he would respond to those and take it to the range and, and practice that mentally and physically. And so you got the repetitions and the mental prep. And I think that something about that made it all come together that in that moment when it counted, and he shot that guy from like 100 yards with his M9. Wow. Yeah. One shot was in like, I think in the shoulder area, the other one that finished him was, was in the head. Uh, and I mean, I don't think I could have done that for a hundred yards under pressure, just showing up and hundred yards, hit this guy in the head with my, with my, you know, well, think, nine millimeter think pistol. About the pressure, though. Think about the pressure that you're under at a hundred yards versus being at 10 yards. Yeah. 
right? He he had the ability to take a good shot being 100 yards away because he's not right there on this guy's on top of him. I got to get that gun out and, and start shooting. No, I'm 100 yards away. He might not even see me at this point. I can break that shot. Uh, but you brought up some great points. One of the most fascinating things about seeing the sights and not seeing the sights. I, I've, I've done, when I was uh, in the training unit, I did a lot of research on this and talked to a lot of people. Uh, some of the people I talked to, Scott Reitz, uh, ITTS out of, you know, LAPD SWAT, just, uh, <laughs> he's a legend in the community. He's a legend. He's, yeah. a SWAT legend. he's a great guy. He's a salty guy. And he's been in several shootings being uh, Metro Division in, in LAPD. And he said he saw his sights on every one of those. And his take was, and I'm, I'm probably putting my own spin on it. So, Scott, if you're listening, just realize that. It's been a couple of years. Uh, the people who don't see their sights never saw their sights in training anyways. So it would be a concept to them when they go to the class, hey, we want a good front sight focus and breaking the shots. And, you know, they think about it, but they're not out there all the time training and, and shooting, competing, whatever, where they're used to see. It's natural for them to see their sights versus the guys who are always doing that. I've spoken to them. I, I've spoken to guys who've been in shootings. They saw their sights and they said it was easy. That was the part that they couldn't believe, like, how easy it was for them. They, they knew they had the sights on and they were putting the rounds where they needed to go. Uh, a guy north of me, Jared Reston from the Reston Group, he's an a officer. He's been on several shows. He, he, he was uh, attacked uh, chasing a bad guy. It was a shoplifter of all people. He was a kid. But the guy swung around and shot him in the face with a Glock 21. All right. So imagine the deficit you're at <laughs> with a, a, a mouthful of lead from a Glock yeah. 21. That's a 45 if people don't know that. Right. And then he falls down and this guy wasn't trying to get away. He was coming to kill him. So he knew he needed to shoot this guy, even though he was shot like seven times at this point. And he said that because he had done training, he was not only in SWAT, he did IDPA, he, he did pistol uh, competitions. He was putting his sights on this guy and he knew he was hitting him, and it would just be a matter of time. And I think something else on the side that I always found fascinating was he had a Glock 22, 40 cal. Uh, this guy had a Glock 21, 45. Which one's going to run out of ammo first? 45. He knew that this guy would go out of ammo first. It did, and he was able to grab him at that point and face shoot him. So uh, he uh, survived a horrific attack, uh, the will to, to win. Uh, but uh, if you haven't had him on your podcast, uh, he'd be a good guy to get. Great for story, sure. guys. Go out there, look him up, Jared Reston, Reston Group. Uh, but again, getting back to the original point of this was the people who don't see their sites. Now, for Science Institute, uh, Bill Lewinsky, he does a lot of research on this. He's an expert. His thing is that for if you're under direct stress, you are going to be target-focused up to like 17 yards. You're going to be target-focused. Uh, but the people who are well-trained, it's easier for them to pick up their sights, to pick up the red dot, whichever that they use all the time. Hmm. Uh, interesting thoughts. Now, we got a question here from Lonnie uh, viewing on Facebook Live, and he says, I'm a fan of mental rehearsal along with my training routine. I think that goes a super long way to keeping a focused mind when the crap hits the fan. Do you guys use this practice? 
I've talked about it on the podcast before, but and, and we've kind of been touching, I think, on, on that a little bit here with our discussion currently. But curious about your thoughts well, on mental rehearsal, Lonnie. When when you're saying mental rehearsal, are you talking visualization? Because if you're saying visualization is key, because think about when you go to a movies, right? This is I, I use this in my my training classes. When you go to the movies, you're watching two actors, you know, who are doing a scene. Uh, there's a camera crew around them and, you know, there's a big camera in front of them and lighting, but we're watching this and we start to get emotional. You know, I cried when old Yeller was shot, you know, going way back for some people might not even know what that means, but you know, you do get emotional. You get scared. You're watching a horror film with like pretend people, but we get scared. We, we cheer when, you know, the good guys smash the bag. All this stuff, so it's it's imagery. So that imagery affects us at a certain level. So the brain, how about this? How about this, Riley? Have you ever woken up from a dream that was very vivid, and like you're pissed off? Oh yeah. <laughs> you had a fight with that person. It's probably your wife. I'm not you. I'm just saying, you know, in general, that's who we fight with or whoever. But you're like angry at them. You're like, I didn't do anything. You were just dreaming. No. Again, it's that visual component. So visualization, you can trick yourself into actually doing what you think you're doing. So uh, guys who do steel challenge, they visualize every aspect of what they do because it's five strings. So they don't have to be on the range to do it. They can just sit there, visualize how, how it feels, how the gun feels in the hand, how it's going to recoil, the smells, what they're seeing with their sights, what they're seeing when they transition. So even in pistol, pistol games or three-gun games, we visualize before stage. We go through that over and over. And you get good at it where you rehearse in your head what you're going to do at each spot. So the goal is we don't have to think ourselves through the stage. We just let our subconscious shoot the stage the way we programmed it. Mm. I think that's what Lonnie's talking about. Yeah, he came back and said, yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Spot on. And Tyler pops in and says, here from good old Utah. Hey, glad to have you, Tyler. Yeah, so I... uh, particularly with stages that, you know, in, in the competitions that I shoot, which I, I shoot mostly three gun, which add a whole other component, right? Because now you're not just visualizing, I got to get to this shooting position or that shooting position. This is what I'm going to see. This is what I'm going to do with the gun. Oh, I'm going to perform my reload as I'm moving from here to here. But now it's like, okay, I'm going to do this with my handgun here. Oh, but now I got to put that down. I got to grab the AR, my carbine. Okay, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that, then I'm going to move there, and then I'm going to run down there, and then I'm going to shoot this, you know, these hoser targets at three yards with my AR. Then I got to transition to 300 yards away. Oh, put that down, grab my shotgun, right? You know, it's like <laughs> visualization is, for me, absolutely essential in three-gun because I will just get lost <laughs> uh, at some, somewhere at some point, which, by the way, that's also a great thing because I think it's good to understand that in the real world, Things may go not the way you expected sometimes. And you can't just go, oh, I don't know what to do now and just freeze. You, you have to have that will to continue to fight, to continue to think and adapt and make decisions. And so the, there's a lot of reasons why I like and what we're talking about here today with, with competition shooting, with three gun or whatever it is, because it doesn't translate perfectly to the real world. We know that it's not perfect training for we, you. can't say that you're a phenomenal three gun shooter and that you're somehow magically going to, uh, you know, that's going to translate perfectly into a real world gunfight. I mean, certainly can't hurt as far as uh, you're going to know how to grab that gun. You're going to know how to use it effectively, but 
the only thing I that people sometimes a fight with Keith Garcia. <laughs> yeah, you heck know? no. <laughs> hey, you win, whatever. I'm, I'm going back. No way. Have you seen the guy shoot? I, I'm, I'm yeah. probably been going for my my gun by the time I'm shot thirty times. So forget it. <laughs> right, right. But uh, you know, talking about visualization, I for me, it's absolutely essential in those types of situations. But sometimes I have felt like, and I've wondered about this. So I'm going to ask you, Arik. With visualization, can it ever be taken so far to where, for instance, I might run through a stage as I'm, as I'm waiting to shoot and I'm, I'm, I'm going through everything I'm going to do and I've just got it down pat in my brain. And then something goes awry, right? Something does not, you miss your reload, you drop the mag, whatever it is. And wow, suddenly your game plan is totally off. And that visualization you're doing is not what you're seeing at all anymore. Can it be taken too far to where it maybe becomes a hindrance at some point, or do you have? I mean, what, what's your response to that? I don't think it ever be a hindrance. Um, so the reason we're visualizing visual visualization, why we're doing visualization, is because we want to pull us. I mean, not only for the practice aspect of it, but we're we're training our subconscious to go through these routines. Think about driving. The first time you were driving and you wanted to change a lane about i gotta put the signal on i gotta turn the wheel i gotta look over my shoulder make sure accelerate now you're driving on the highway 80 miles an hour texting and having a conversation it's nothing to you um the same thing because you've done it over and over again you you you, you've been there before it's 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 subconscious for you so we want to you know at a stage it's it's unnatural for the fact that we have five minutes or i don't know what it is in three gun but in, in pistol competition you get five minutes to, to do your walkthrough and rehearse it, visualize it over and over again. So we're forcing that, that repetition over and over so we get comfortable. So then when we shoot the stage, we don't have to be controlling it. Our subconscious will do it. Now, when we have that inevitable accident, screw up, whatever, and you're out of your, your, your movie, you're out of your uh, visualization, the way to get back there is to just start focusing on those fundamentals. I need to start shooting... And then you can almost kick it back in and finish it. As soon as the more we start to think about things, the worse it's going to be for us. Another thing I wanted to mention that you were talking about the visualization is, you know, we teach officers for, uh, for on-duty and off-duty survival, and this can apply to any person who carries a gun, to, to what if all the time. And that's essentially a visualization. You're at the stoplight. What if a car pulls up with gangbangers and the guy puts a gun in your head? What are you going to do? This is how I'm going to respond. And you do that over and over again. So when the time comes and this actually happens, you've been there before. You're going to kick that subconscious in and that conscious mind can think of that whatever one thing you need to do. But the subconscious is going to be handling everything else. Like going up to uh, the stop and robs. You know, you say like one every thousand time you go, they're going to walk in on a robbery. So what happens when you do walk in on the robbery? What happens when that guy crosses the street? You know, you could do that everyday life. You're crossing the street. Well, what if this guy comes and cuts into my way and puts a gun on my face. How am I going to react? That doesn't happen, but that's another practice for you because we can't have those experiences all the time. Mm. Really good thoughts there. You know, and it, it's caused me to think about how it, it goes back to, I think, where we began some of this discussion with the more scenarios and experiences that you put yourself through. Uh, gradually, you, you, I, I think it's a lot easier for our brains to make connections and relations, meaning that maybe something doesn't go exactly according to plan the way you expect. 
And maybe that might cause you initially to go, wait a minute, whoa, this is not what I was planning on or what I was expecting. Uh, this dude just did something that totally surprised me. Okay. But hopefully you've done, you've, you've, you've visualized enough different scenarios. You've, you've trained, uh, you know, enough different ways for enough different situations. You've shot from different positions uh, that are awkward or less than ideal or whatever it is. And then suddenly in that moment you go, wait a minute, but this is similar. This, this is like this other thing that I did. And I know how to handle that. Uh, and I've experienced that too, especially in the competition circuit where something doesn't go exactly according to plan. And now this new situation that you're in is not exactly like anything else you've been in, but it's similar to, wait a minute, when this goes wrong with my gun, I do this sort of thing. And uh, I think most of the time that works out pretty well. Think about the confidence you have from doing that. You know, a guy who's been doing martial arts for many years, he's a black belt. Okay, so he gets involved in the situation. He's got that confidence because he knows he doesn't have to think about the, the what am I going to do? He just does. So it's the same level, you know, you're a grandmaster shooter, you know, you're shooting around. You, these little things aren't going to bother you because you, you've been there, you know how to experience it, you know how to get back on track and, you know, stay consistent. So there's, again, visualization, repetition, practice, it all goes back to the same thing and that's the subconscious. Awesome. Really good thoughts. Let's shift gears now. Ark, you speak to a lot of different shooters. Uh, this is, the, what, the second year you've done the Shooter Summit this year? Yes, second uh, Shooter Summit, 2017. 2016 was the first. Yep, and, and you've, you've had guys like Keith Garcia, uh, Kyle Lamb, uh, Ben Stoger, um, all kinds of world-class shooters, operators, competitive, law enforcement, military, wide variety of backgrounds. So you yes. talk, you talk, the point is you talk to a lot of different shooters and operators out there. So what would you say based on everything that you've gleaned from all these different guys, what, what are some of the major takeaways that you feel like has great application to no matter the, the, the person you are, your background, the style of shooting that you prefer, what are some of the major takeaways that you've learned in your experience talking to all these different guys? No, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did have a couple gals this year. Uh, that's, that's an awesome question because it just ties into everything we just talked about. Across the board, unanimously, these, these high achievers, these world-class shooters and instructors, no matter which side of the house they're on, competition or tactical, across the board, dry practice. Dry mm -hmm. practice. Uh, you know, dry fire is kind of a weird term because you're not actually firing the gun. Mm -hmm. So dry practice, I guess, is the more common term, right? I don't have a, a weak hand. I have a reaction hand, right? So whatever. So dry fire. Sure. All do it. All of them do it. And why? Because you're getting those repetitions. You're training that subconscious. And they do it a lot. And I think that what separates them is that there's a dedication. There's a commitment to whatever they wanted to do. They went at it and stuck with it and just made it a part of their lives. It wasn't unnatural for them to dry practice one to two hours a day, right? And people are like, I can't do that. Well, how, what's your level of, of involvement? You know, how much is it important to you? You know, if it, if it matters to you that much, you're going to do it. Any sport, if you want to get good at it, you've got to practice it. The guys that are at the top of the game, the Michael Jordans, the LeBron James, the, the Wayne Gretzky's, from a young age, that's what they did. Tiger Woods, they walked around with that golf club. So obviously you can't be walking around with a gun in your hand all the time, but you can be dry practicing. You set aside, okay, wife's went to bed, kids are asleep, dog went out, now it's my turn. 
You know, mm-hmm. I, maybe I don't watch Game of Thrones or the, the latest sports game or whatever. Instead, I put in an hour of dry practice. And even if I'm an EDC guy, you know, I, I talked to on, on this year's summit, I have Gabe White. Uh, I don't know if you know Gabe White. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a masterclass shooter in USPSA in limited division, but he does it all from concealment. And he's winning matches. So he draws from appendix. He's super fast. Amazing. But again, because he made a commitment to that, and that's what he does. So you, anybody can get good at anything. It doesn't matter if you're a competitor or tactical. Put the time. To, you know, how many conceal? I challenge your audience. If you're, if you're carrying a gun every day, well, how much practice are you doing with that? You know, think about the, the bad situations you could be in. You're, you're carrying your, your kids or something, and the guy's coming with a gun to, your, to, you know, to attack you. How are you going to defend that? Have you thought about that? Can you practice getting the gun out with one hand? All these little things. Yeah. That was, that was across the board for them. Dry fire. Yeah, or dry practice, as you said. Uh, I know we tend in this industry to, to get all like up in arms about semantics. And I do like to call things proper you know, terms. But, uh, but yeah, certainly dry fire or dry practice, uh, we get what you mean. And, and, and that's something I've seen as well. Uh, and frankly, I recognize within my own self, there was a, a period a number of years ago where I recognized, uh, I don't know if I recognized it at the, at the time, right, at the moment, uh, but I, when, when, the, when I really started to take dry fire practice or dry practice seriously, in a very short order of time, I made great improvements. That I, I don't think I realized were occurring as I was doing all that dry practice, right? And then I looked back and I went, wait a minute. Wow. Actually, I'm better than I was a few weeks ago. Uh, and then it started to click like, wait a minute. I had hit a plateau in my own personal skill with where it comes to shooting. And that really opened my eyes to dry practice. I was like, wait a minute. Wow, this actually is really valuable. I, at first, I was a little bit skeptical as far as, so drawing this fake gun or this plastic gun or the cert pistol or just doing, you know, drills with my live gun unloaded, uh, that actually has value. And that was a wake up call for me. I'm convinced you cannot become a world-class shooter without drive practice. I, I think the, I, I, on the summit, I talked to the Ben Stoger about that. And I think the only way you could do that is if you had your own range and an unlimited amount of ammo. And you could just shoot. You'll figure things out without having to do all the drugs. But most people can't do that. So that's why we have to dry practice. Well, you live right. in a, a state that's, you know, frozen you know, nine months out of the year, can't be outside shooting. Well, you could be indoors. Uh, you're familiar with Lanny Basham? Yeah. With winning in mind. Uh, he talks about it. He had a whole year where he couldn't get to the range. And he did dry practice four hours a day, and he won the world championship. Mm. That just shows you that what you can do, your level of involvement in that. You know, it was that important to him, four hours a day. So it's not just lining up the sights and pulling the trigger for four hours. He would come up with different things that he would have to see. He would have to feel what kind of targets, you know, all these little things. You can, you can get really uh, in-depth with it. And it's you know, a nice little segue for the summit is, you know, people talk about their specific routines and give ideas to the listeners, to the viewers of the summit on what to do. Oh, that's great. And I appreciate you bringing up 
uh, th- those points as well. You know, that's a fascinating thing. I, and I, by the way, I, I hope people understand that if the, if you didn't have, if you had very little shooting experience or knowledge, and then you suddenly make up the decision that you're going to dry fire practice four hours a day. And a year later, you're going to be a world-class shooter. I think that would be a mistake because I think he's able to do that because of the foundation that was already there. And, and I, I think for, I see that as well with myself because I recognize that I do need to spend time on the range, right? But my dry practice is also incredibly valuable to me because I, I already know what the experience is like on the range, right? When you know what that's like, when you have that foundation, you know what you're supposed to be doing, how you're supposed to be doing it, then you can really bring that back into the home or your garage or your basement and that dry fire or dry practice becomes even more valuable because you understand, okay, this is, this is how I got to do this. And I know the result is going to be, you know, this other thing. Um, we got some comments here, by the way, let's see, we've got uh, Matthew popping in. He says, automate the controllable, the mechanical aspect of shooting as simple as proper practice, free your mind to focus on the variables like your tactical response assessment and post shooting actions. Awesome. Yeah. Good thoughts there. Uh, Brandon pops in and says uh, a great thing when it comes to dry fire practice with a laser trainer, you can also start training via muscle memory and not focusing on the sites. If you're in an attack, the fact of the matter is you probably won't have the time to focus on the sites before you fire. So to, to that point, Brandon, uh, I definitely think there's a, a lot of value in using the sites, right? But I think there's also great value in knowing when and how to use your sites. So for instance, you're right. If I'm, if, if, if I got a guy three yards from me, I recognize like instantaneously the brain switches on and says, I don't need my sights to shoot this guy at three yards, right? It's guns in the hand. I'm pointing, I'm shooting because I've done that a gazillion times. And I know, you know, my deviation is not going to be so great at three yards that I, I, I can't just point and shoot as fast as I possibly can. But, you know, is that the same for five yards, seven yards, 10 yards, 15 yards? You know, at what point? And, and that's, I think that's something that's really critical. For, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this as well, uh, Arik, as far as, and, and whether you even agree with me or not on this, as far as recognizing when to use the sites and how to use the sites and also re- learning what your limits are as far as that's concerned. Well, you know, from, from, my, from a pistol class that I teach, I show them, look, at three yards, yeah, I'm, I'm just pushing that gun out there. I'm just seeing where that tip of the gun is. I know I'm going to hit 100%. I know I'm going to hit. I back up to seven yards. Maybe I'm starting to see you know, more of the sights to guarantee a tight shot right there. Back to 10, 15 yards, I need to see my sights. Otherwise, I'm probably going to miss. And we, you know, as good guys, we can't miss. We can't mm-hmm. be throwing rounds all over. Bad guys, they don't care. Good guys, we can't miss. But you, you brought up another point. A battle I fight is exactly that, is that, you know, the statistics say that most gunfights are within, you know, three to seven yards, and, you know, I don't really need to see my sights for that, blah, blah, blah. Well, people are always giving that argument on a flat range, standing in front of a, a full-size target, where, yeah, of course. But what if, you're at seven yards and you only see the top of the person's head or you're only seeing their shoulder. So that seven yard problem is now a 25 yard problem. So mm-hmm. you need to be good at shooting, shooting at 25 yards. So you can make those kind of tight shots 
then anything up close is going to be easier. You know, and then the last point I want to bring up is in practice, learn to use those sights so much that it's natural. Your body is going to remember the position it's in. If you're doing things over and over again, you're going to get that natural index, that natural point of aim, which is always good. That's why these, these world-class shooters, you know, they're, hard, they're, they're not getting a hard sight focus on a lot of things because they've done it so much, they, they can just put themselves in that position and the rounds are going to hit. They know that. So, you know, but to get to that level, you've got to commit to, to seeing your sights in practice. That when you get out there and, you know, that three to seven yard shot, you're, you're just shooting it. You're not worried about seeing your sights. Yeah. Speaking of, of a little bit of that, I'm going to respond to that in that. Is there anything you can do as it relates to your vision, Mark, that would help you see the sights better and faster? I mean, I, I know, for instance, like you take a, a brand new shooter and if you tell them to watch their sights, right, it, it, throughout the whole shot cycle or process, right? They're going to be like, what are you talking about? Like, as soon as that gun recoils, I, I can't see anything, you know, and then they're back and they're trying to find the sights. What can you do or what, it, what would be a key to increasing your ability to see the sights quickly? Well, I, I do a drill on the range when I, I get people in class who are having a hard time with the concept of using their sights and being accountable for uh, good size groups or, you know, small targets, dot drill, dot drill is the, the best one. And if they're having a hard time, I make them either step in between the targets or we just take the targets down and start, start shooting into the berm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then they do, uh, basically it's a build drill into the berm. So for those of you who don't know what the build drill is, it's six shots pretty much as fast as you can. Now, the, the, on target, you want A-zone hits on like a USPSA target, A-zone hits, and you're looking for two seconds. You know, from the holster, draw two seconds, all A-zone hits. Uh, you know, if you go further back, whatever, but we're doing this at seven yards. So if people are having our time with that, do that same type of drill as fast as you can into the berm. A lot of people are going to have a hard time with that. So we do it over and over again. Sooner or later, they're starting to see their sights. And it's like this, this light bulb goes off in their head. They're seeing their sights. Next thing is they're starting to see brass eject. They're like, I, I've seen brass eject. I'm like, really? And like, I've never seen that. Like, Guess what? It's been there the whole time you've, you've been shooting. That brass ejects. So now they're seeing that. And then we go to the next level is now they can start to call their shots because they're seeing how their sights are lifting. Are they lifting straight up on the notch? Are they dipping first, then going off to the left? Majority of my Glock shooters, they have that problem. It dips, you know, they're anticipating that recoil. They dip it down first. Well, now they can see it. Then we go back on targets. We do the same drill. Once they get this, I immediately put them back on the target, that build drill again, and shoot it. So they don't have to think about it. They're amazed. They're amazed. They just did it. Two two point five seconds, they got A zone hits when before they couldn't do it. So that's that's one of the drills that I use. Nice, I like that. Just just get them on to the berm. And uh, as I was thinking about it, I, I was I was kind of asking myself, well, what is it about taking you off the target and just shooting into the berm that suddenly might cause you to have that aha moment and start to see your sights? And 
I, I think for me, as I'm thinking about it, it's because you're, you, you no longer have something to focus on downrange as, as much, right? Because you, right. the target, you, you tend to get so target focused, target, target, target. And e- even when you're telling a student, look at the sites and they're still so focused on the target, even when they don't realize it. And with the berm, I think you're taking away that, that focus point. Well, I have people grading you- targets. People are grading the targets after they shoot. Yeah. So that's, that's the big problem. People are watching what they're, they're, they're looking for the holes on the target. And that's very common because it's, it's a weird event. You know, shooting is a very weird sport or, or practice. You're, you're pulling the trigger. You think your sights down. Anybody can line up the sights. Anybody can do that. But it's what happens when they start pulling the trigger where it separates people. And so the sights were there, but the round is nowhere near. It's like either high, low, and it causes frustration. So they start reading the target and they're trying to make adjustments by reading the target. And as Frank Proctor eloquently uh, says that you're, you're reading history. It's history. The target is history. We don't want to be results-oriented. We want to be performance-oriented. We want to see what's happening right in front of our face, and that's the site, and we can read the site. So that's why we want to be looking for those sites. Mm. Good, good stuff. Mia joins us and says, trigger control and site alignment are king. You need to have, or you have to have both. Now, so we're, that, that starts to present this idea that certain uh, fundamentals are more critical than others. Now, I certainly don't disagree in that uh, if your trigger control sucks, <laughs> like if you have the worst trigger control ever, it doesn't matter how good you can sight in your gun on target or w- whatever, because you're, you're going to be mashing that trigger so bad, you're pushing yourself off target anyway, right? So definitely, you know, would agree with that. But in your mind, uh, Arik, what would be a fundamental or perhaps fundamentals that do they, maybe they stand out in your mind a little bit more as far as certain things are, I, I do think certain things are a little bit more important than others, or at least we got to get them in certain orders. And so I'm curious your thoughts on well, fundamentals. I, I, it's weird you ask me this question because I've been talking so much <laughs> with these instructors and they all kind of say the same thing. I mean, they're, they're very big on the grip. All right. A, a lot of guys are gripping that gun pretty hard. And you know what? Trigger, trigger is king. Hey, I need you to line up this. They can do it. But when they pull the trigger, the round does work. So something had to have happened by the time they line up that sight to the time the gun goes off. And that's the trigger pull. Mm-hmm. So learning to, to pull the trigger, and that just takes, that takes dry practice. That takes a lot of live practice. So the things that we can do at, at home, the reloads, the the draws, all the other stuff, we can get good at that. It's on our trigger when we go to the range. Mm. Good thoughts. So we're kind of coming down to the end here, I think, a little bit. Uh, I, I had some some listener questions, I think, for you, but that was mainly in case we didn't have enough awesome content to talk about, which clearly we've had plenty to talk about today. So tell us a little bit about the, shoot, the Shooters Summit, what you got coming up, so we can give people a, a good idea of what to expect. All right. The idea behind the Shooter Summit, the original one last year, was to bring together, I got 23 of the top instructors from both sides of the house, and to ask them kind of the same series of questions, basically, how did you get into shooting? You know, what are your thoughts on the fundamentals? <laughs> Dissecting the, the trigger reset, because that's, that's a huge one. And then 
uh, will competition get you killed? So th those, were, those were the questions I asked. This year, I expanded the summit a lot. All right, I, I, I went from 23 to 32, 33 instructors. And this year, the instructors brought to the table what their specialty is. Like having you as part of the, uh, on the summit, like I said earlier, you've got that, that specialty of being a concealed carry guy, a trainer, and, and, and a competitor. But we, we got into it with, and we had a very good interview uh, on the steps to successfully uh, carrying concealed and traveling uh, with your firearm. Good stuff. So imagine that with different types of people. It's like I had you know, world champions. I had Eric Raffel, by far probably the most winning shooter in history. And it's a great interview because he says things that are going to blow your mind. You know, it's, it's very different from what you expect. Uh, you know, Ben, ben gives a great uh, analysis of Dry Fire Reloaded, which is his Dry Fire manual. And William Petty, who teaches a vehicle close quarter battle class. And we talk about vehicle ballistics, shooting in and out of cars. So there's a lot of stuff. Benny Cooley. Benny Cooley talks about setting up your long distance shooting. It's, it's fascinating. And you're going to learn. So that's, that was the purpose of this summit. You know, I, I think that in this country, I, I, I love that we, we can rights to, to carry at all in this country. That separates us from pretty much everywhere else in the world. But I think we also have to have the responsibility of being educated at, at, at handling guns. There's a, a huge safety with it. And this is a good way to get exposed to these ideas. It doesn't replace actual training, but it's going to give you a whole lot of information. Uh, it's, it's a huge information dump. So it's exciting. It's, it launches December 17th. And I, the keynote speaker, the first one to be released that video that day is Brian Enos who wrote the book, Practical Shooting Beyond Fundamentals, which is basically pretty much like the Bible right. in the shooting world. I mean, he, he is uh, uh, a Zen master. I think he really is a Zen master, but uh, we haven't seen him in 27 years. So I was able to bring him on, and it's a fascinating conversation. So you can go to uh, Shootersummit.com, just summit put together, Shootersummit.com, and you can see the, the, the agenda is up. The, the sessions are announced see all the speakers, and you got to register. Uh, like I said, it starts Sunday, which is pretty close. It runs for a week, and then after that, it's gone. So uh, you want to get be a part of it. Right. Now, in case there's some confusion with viewers or listeners as to how this, this works, the Shooter's Summit is free to view, right? It is 100% free to view. Each, each video, each session is released on a day. Imagine you go to a conference, and there's the, the keynote, and then you got all the other speakers. So you go, you're basically going to a conference at home. <clears throat> Each uh, video is available for 48 hours. So you can't make it when it's a released. You got 48 hours to watch that video. Now, if you can't make it at all, you're going to be out of town. You're not going to have access to the internet, which I can understand why, but it happens. Or maybe... You're like, you know what? I want this. I want this as a, like a reference, like a book, and I want it now. You can upgrade to the all-access pass. The all-access pass is $37 before the summit starts. Once the summit starts, it goes up to 47 And the all-access pass gives you the entire summit 
for life. So the 2017 summit, if you, if you purchase it, you get the pass, it's yours for life. And it's, you can watch it as many times as you want, wherever you want. Plus, uh, for the pass holders, there's a couple of sponsors that threw in some deals, Dark Angel Medical being one of them. Uh, they get, they're offering a 10% discount on their products, which is amazing. Carrie Davis is, is a very passionate mm. person when it comes to emergency trauma management. And it's a great session. You guys got to watch it. Uh, there's going to be a podcast version because a lot of people last year say, listen, you know, I, I carry this phone with me all the time. I want to be able to listen to it. I do have the audio files up there in the 2016 summit. You could, you know, download them, but it wasn't like a podcast. So this year we have a private podcast. Uh, if you're a pass holder, you can get that private podcast, uh, you know, full stereo quality. You can listen to it like you would any podcast. So it's it's a good value for for all all that stuff that you're getting for for lifetime access to the summit. I dig that that the, the that free, new podcast feature. Yeah, it's a free summit, guys. Please sign up, watch it for free. If you don't want to pay, that's fine. Get the information. But if you if you're like, you know what, I want to keep this information as reference, you should have to pay. But I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, the podcast sticker was one of the big things that people wanted. They really did. Yeah. Oh, I'm a big po- podcast listener and I'm a podcaster. So it, you're exactly right. It's, it's very convenient to have that with you and be able to uh, take in that, that content. I listen to, uh, I've already listened to many of these people, very other podcasts where they've been interviewed uh, on a road trip. I just had recently, I was listening to interviews with uh, one of my favorites is an interview that uh, Michael Seeklander did with Rob Latham. And I've listened, I've re-listened to that two or three or four times because there's it seems like there's always something that comes out uh you know new to me every time i listen to it so it's really good to have that that content available so shooter summit uh definitely encourage you all to check that out you said it's yeah, and guys Monday the 17th. If, if you're gonna sign up for the summit all right uh all the speakers have their own individual links so if if you're watching this uh facebook live podcast thing that we're doing if you're watching this or if you're listening to it later and you want to go to the summit, go to shootersummit.com slash Riley. Shootersummit.com slash Riley. That way you are supporting uh, my man Riley here for <laughs> coming on to the summit and, and for all he does for the concealed carry world, for the analysis he does, these breakdowns he does of different situations. It is an invaluable tool. So if, if you go ahead and uh, purchase that pass, uh, you're going to be supporting Riley. So shootersummit.com slash Riley. Hey, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, That's great. I'm passionate about it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was so impressed with Shooter Summit last year that I, I purchased it. And I enjoyed very much taking in that content from last year. And I'm looking forward to this year's. I'm excited to be a part of it. Uh, but I'm, I'm really excited to also see all these other great present, presenters and, and interviewees that you'll have on, on the Shooter Summit this year. So uh, great stuff, man. I appreciate you doing this with me today for the Concealed Carry podcast. I just want to say one more thing. Uh, there's going to be a live kickoff here on Facebook mm. on Saturday, the 16th. 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. It's going to go for several hours because what I'm doing is I'm bringing on several of the instructors in little bits and they're going to be talking kind of like, you know, Riley are talking now. But the nice thing is uh, someone will be able to come on, a listener or viewer, I'll get it right, (laughs) will be able to come on and ask that speaker a question directly. 
So it's, it'll be uh, go to Shooter Summit. That's the, the Facebook page, two words, Shooter Summit. And uh, stay tuned there. Like the page so you get uh, announcements about it. And then just be ready, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And we'll probably go 11, 12 o'clock Eastern Times just so the people on the West Coast can uh, tune in. Great. Looking forward to it. So, uh, folks, uh, you've already heard about Shooter Summit, shootersummit.com forward slash Riley. I hope you go check that out. A reminder of our other sponsors of today's episode, Sports Afield Quality Handgun Vaults and Safes and Big Lube. <laughs> and since so you said Firearms Nation is sponsoring this podcast too, I'm going to give you, Riley, five all-access passes for your listeners. So oh, you figure out a way wow. to... If the people who are listening to this one, uh, if you have some random way of drawing it or people you want to pick, I'm going to give you five passes as a sponsor. Boy, I'm I'm thinking on the spot right now. How how would we do this? Because that's really that's a that's very generous of you, Arik. I am going to say on the spot that look in the show notes of today's episode, and we will have a special link that'll take you to a form to sign up for a random drawing for those all access passes. And uh, as part of that, you'll, 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 you'll get into that, that drawing for one of those to win one of those free passes. And that'll forward you to the site <laughs> to sign up. All right. So be cool. All right. Great. Thank you for your time today, Ark. This has been a pleasure. Uh, I've learned already from you just talking with you today. And I hope this is valuable for those uh, viewing on Facebook or listening to the podcast after the fact. Uh, in fact, you Facebook viewers, uh, I hope this was valuable for you. If you'd like to see more of our podcast being done live on Facebook, I definitely would like to hear from you. Drop in the comments there. Do, is this something you still want to see more of? Um, it does, you know, it, it takes a little bit of effort setting up and sometimes the technology doesn't work perfectly. We've had a couple of times, I think audio has dropped out a little bit today. Uh, but uh, if it's something that's of value to you, I want to know and we'll keep trying to do it. And finally, if you want to reach out to us, any questions, suggestions, anything you might have, podcast at concealedcarry.com. Hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. So with that, we are going to let Art go and, and uh, appreciate it so much. We'll have to have you again on the podcast sometime down the road. But I wish you luck with everything going on this weekend and uh, with the, uh, the Shear Summit starting all and running all through next week. So good luck with everything, sir. Thanks, guys. Join the nation. <laughs> so with that, we'll bid you all farewell. Catch you next time. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.